0: Good morning, everybody. I'm going to be reading our scripture passage for today that Peter is going to be preaching on. Uh, It's Acts chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about five thousand. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the men who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the right of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and we have heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them, because the people, for all, were praising God for what had happened, for the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And I can't remember if I'm supposed to pray, so we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. Dear Lord, I just thank you for today, thank you for this morning, and the opportunity that we have to gather together, to see each other in fellowship, to listen to preaching in your word. Um, I pray that you'd be with uh, Peter, just as he's giving us... um, helping us to understand your word, that you would give us ears to hear, and um, just be with him, help him to teach well, and just to do um, everything to your glory, and I thank you that he's here. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen.
1: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It is a pleasure to be here with you all. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Peter. I'm one of the deacons here at the Mountain Church, uh, and I get the added joy of getting to preach to you today, so I'm very excited for that. Uh as many of you know, I was supposed to preach last week, and then uh, in the, the middle of the week prior to that, I woke up out of the blue and got hit with one of the craziest sicknesses that I've had in my adult life, and I just kept getting worse every day. Um, not sure still what was all going on. Apparently, it was a really bad sinus infection, but anyway, I'm thankful that I feel better now that I'm able to be here with you. Uh, so thank you again to Daniel for preaching a last-minute sermon last Sunday, uh, and Now I'm glad to preach this Sunday. A couple uh, extra announcements. Dan forgot to mention that we're having a potluck today after the service. Uh, Yep, whoop, whoop. Our monthly potluck, which are awesome. Uh, So uh, if you don't have plans, please stick around, join us, eat some delicious food that's out in the cafe, and hang out for a fun time of fellowship. Uh, And then I wanted to do an uh, additional plug for the men's retreat coming up March 10th to 11th. Uh, as you all said, it's been a lot of years. We haven't done an overnight men's retreat since 2017. So a lot of years in the making. We've done uh, a few, you know, we've done a thing in town and we've started to do our men's breakfast, which are awesome, but we are excited to have a time to get away as, as men, brothers in Christ, just to spend time together to, to dive into some uh, topics of faith and just to uh, hang out. So we'd love to see all the guys there. Uh, and you can sign up with the QR code or on the website. Uh, it's going to be Awesome. So this morning, we are looking at Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22, as Cole just read to us. Uh, And since it's been a little while, I'm going to do a quick recap of uh, what Daniel talked about two weeks ago, just to set the scene a little bit. So two weeks ago in chapter 3, we saw Peter and John going to the temple uh, for their evening prayers. And on the way in, uh, they are walking through the gate, and they pass a lame man seated beside the gate, uh, and he was begging, asking for alms. And Peter and John look at the man, and they say in chapter 3, verse 6, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man leapt to his feet, and he began to walk around praising God. And the people, they saw this man, and they recognized that he was the blind man that was always by the gate on the way into the temple. And they're amazed. They're like, oh my gosh, that guy can walk now. And so they all swarm to Peter and John and surround them. And as the people are surrounding them, Peter begins to preach the name of Jesus. And our passage today picks up in the middle of this sermon that Peter is giving. Uh, So verse 1 begins, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So like I said, in in the middle of Peter preaching to these people, uh, a group of men, some priests, the captain of the guard, and the Sadducees, they don't like what Peter and John are doing. Uh, So they come out and they arrest them, uh, and they put them in custody for the night. And specifically, it says that they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So why is, why is this the specific thing they're so annoyed about? Uh, one commentary suggests that the, this group of men were men that had been in positions of power for a long time. They had long-standing positions of influence over the Jewish people. Uh, and as you remember, the, the Jewish people are still under the authority of the, the Romans, Right? So these guys, their positions of power, they had been allowed to maintain even though the the Romans had authority over the Jews. Uh, So I think what the the commentary points to is that they're annoyed here because any teachings of of messianic uh, reign or resurrection would have had a revolutionary tone to it, to the Roman people. Um, So Peter and John proclaiming a messianic resurrection in Jesus would have been interpreted as revolutionary to the Roman government who was over the Jews and could have potentially disrupted the Jewish leaders' own positions of power. The Romans could have looked at me like, hey, you know, we put you in position over power, of these people, you're not even keeping them controlled, so we're gonna pick someone else. Uh, so it's kind of hinting toward that, that that may have been why these guys were so fearful. Like they see these guys preaching these things, they're like, hey, get those guys down from there before someone important hears, right? Uh, and remember that the people originally expected that the, the Messiah would come as a conquering ruler, that he would overthrow the powers in place over the Jewish people. We know now that Jesus came to conquer sin and death, not Romans, not powers of this world, that he came to serve and not to be served. But this idea of a Messiah coming as a conquering king would have still been uh, popular. So they hear these guys preaching that the Messiah has come, that the resurrection of life has begun in him. They're like, hey, get those guys down from there. Lock those guys up. (laughs) Uh, So once again, in verse three, it says, and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But continue on to verse four, but many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So they hear their preaching, they run out, they grab them, they lock them up. Uh, But verse 4 tells us that the damage had kind of already been done. The word had kind of gotten out. And this is the third time now in the book of Acts where we see Luke record the number of believers in the early church. In Acts 1.15, we're told there are about 120 believers. And then in Acts 2.41, following Peter's sermon at Pentecost, we see that the number rose to 3,000 people. And here in our passage today, it says the number swelled to about 5,000 men. And the word men there does specifically refer to men, not people in general. So we can guess that this number may have even been closer to 10,000 people if you were to include women and children. So the church is growing exponentially. And uh, I don't think that the Jewish elders avoided necessarily what they were trying to avoid by arresting Peter and John in this moment. Now on the next day, verse 5... On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. So here we're given some of the specific names of these men, these Jewish leaders who were going to uh, convene over Peter and John. Uh, we're told that Annas was there, and it says that Annas the high priest. Uh, An interesting side note, Annas is actually the former high priest at this time now, but in the same way that uh, we in our country refer to former presidents still as you're know, like President Bush or President Obama, they continue to give him this title of respect. So he's the so Annas, the former high priest, is there, uh, as well as Caiaphas, who was at this time actually the reigning high priest, uh, and then there are a few other names listed, as well as all who were of the high priestly family. So as we said before, these are men who had been in positions of power for a long time, or that their family had been in a position of influence for a long time uh, amongst the Jewish community. But more specifically, and interesting for our passage today, is that these are some of the very same men who had been involved in uh, conspiring to arrest and kill Jesus. We see this in Matthew 26, verses 3 and 4. It says, "...then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. So these are among the very men who had plotted the arrest and death of Jesus. And now Peter and John are standing before them, following the healing of a layman in Jesus' name, and preaching the resurrection through him. Not necessarily a fun spot to be in, I wouldn't think. Uh, And verse 7 says... And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? And I love this next part. Does Peter, just, just do Peter and John respond with a simple uh, was, uh, Jesus name? No, Peter says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by, by what means this man has been healed— Man, I feel like Peter really lets them have it in this moment. (laughs) Simple question, he goes off. Oh, you'd like to know in whose name we did these things? In whose name we did the good act of healing a lame man crippled from birth? It was in Jesus' name, the very same Jesus that you guys killed. But he didn't stay dead. God raised him from the dead. And it's because of him this man is able to stand before you today. And he doesn't stop there. He says, that Jesus is the stone that you rejected. You, who are supposed to be the builders of the church that God has made, who are supposed to be improving what God has created. You rejected him, and now he is the cornerstone. He is the foundation of what you were supposed to be building. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I like to think this would have been a perfect mic drop moment for Peter. (laughs) standing in front of these guys as Peter and John are faced by the very men who plotted to arrest and kill Jesus arrested by them for healing and preaching in his name Peter didn't cower in the face of this council but he pointed back at them he revealed their sin to them and then he preached them the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ how in the world is he able to do this in this moment And I think what we see here is a direct fulfillment of something that Jesus actually promised back in Luke 21. Uh, Let's flip there now. Luke 21, verses 12 through 15. Jesus says, "'They will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer.' for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Likewise, in Luke twelve eleven through 12, Jesus says, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So this is, I think Peter's speech here is a fulfillment of these promises. Verse 8 says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, that he was emboldened as he began to speak. And we see in verse 13 uh, the reaction that the council has to this, this answer from Peter. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing this man who was healed standing beside them, They had nothing to say in opposition. Now the word boldness here, this is they saw boldness in Peter and John. Uh, This is the Greek word parousia. I'm not bilingual. Uh, Parousia. And we we see this word for boldness used four other times in the book of Acts. Uh, And each time this word is used, it depicts a moment of supernatural boldness and courage speaking truth in the face of opposition and danger. So this council observes a supernatural boldness uh, from Peter and John. And it also mentions here that they observe that Peter and John are uneducated men and that they had been with Jesus. Now, obviously, uh, Peter and John are not illiterate. They're not unintelligent men. They're not stupid. But they don't have the same you know, rabbinical or uh, temple training that these, the, men, the men of this council would have had. Uh, so they recognize that. And so I think that in one hand, they're surprised by the the confidence, the public speaking and the knowledge that Peter is expressing here. But then it says they recognize they had been with Jesus. Now, it's very possible they may have just physically recognized that Peter and John have been walking around with Jesus during his ministry on earth, right? I mean, we know that the Jewish elders often uh, challenge Jesus in the temple they saw him doing his works. You know, They got mad at him as he was tealing pre- uh, on the Sabbath. So they're like, oh, hey, yeah, we saw Peter and John walking around with Jesus. But I think that the author is pointing at something more here. I think that he, they are also recognizing Jesus' teachings being spoken through Peter and John in this moment. Just as they were astonished by Jesus and his boldness and knowledge in life, they are here astonished by Peter and John and their boldness and knowledge. And then moreover, in verse 14, Standing next to Peter and John is the very evidence, the irrefutable evidence of the work they had just done. There's literally the man who used to not be able to walk standing right beside them. So they have nothing to say in opposition. Verse 15, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. and continue to verse 17, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they have Peter and John, and presumably this uh, healed man, leave, and then they're talking amongst themselves. And they seem to be at a loss for what to do here, right? Uh, And once more, as so many times throughout the Gospels, we see these Jewish leaders basing their decisions on public perception of themselves. They are driven by their desire to align with public opinion, to not appear to go against what the people want or believe. So they're in a little bit of a pickle, right? <laughs> because on the one hand, they can't refute what Peter and John just did. They can't refute the evidence of the man standing next to them. But they also can't, but they also don't want people joining their cause. Uh, so they're in a little bit of a bind here, and they're trying to figure out what to do. So what do they do? Verse 18, So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So they asked Peter and John by whose name they did these things, uh, and Peter responds uh, that it was in Jesus' name. And he points their own sin out to them, and he preaches them the gospel of salvation through Jesus. And their response is just to not preach anymore. We see no response to them to the words that Jesus, or the sorry, the words that Peter actually said to them. They don't try to refute it. They don't argue it. They don't dismiss it. They don't even acknowledge it. They just tell him to hush up. And I thought it was really interesting in my study. I found that there was a note in a commentary that said that all subsequent occasions, all future occasions that we see in Scripture, where the resurrection of Jesus is preached, the authorities do not attempt to refute this teaching. The council never once disagrees with what Peter and John are saying. I mean, this certainly would have been the moment, right? They're in a private council. There's no outside eyes looking in on them. They have Peter and John all to themselves. They could have set these guys straight. They could have given them some sound doctrine or some, you know, some real wisdom. But instead, we just see them charge Peter and John not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Uh, in verse 19, Peter and John respond. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And Peter is essentially saying here, hey, we'll leave it up to you guys to, to say whether it's okay that we follow this divine commandment rather than this human regulation. But either way, we cannot stop sharing what we've seen and heard. Not going to happen. And continuing verse 21, And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So first, in regard to the comment of the healed man's age, uh, most commentaries I read agree that this is mainly just a statement saying that this man, in the age he was at, is is beyond the point of life when his ailment could have been cured naturally or by the uh, medicines or healing practices available at this time. So They're saying that hey, there's, this guy has been lame for forty years, and he would have remained lame for the rest of his life had he not been healed. There's no other way this could have happened. Uh, but looking back at the leader's reaction. Uh, One 20th century Jewish historian put it this way. He says, This, being letting them go, uh, was the first mistake which the Jewish leaders made with regard to the new sect, being Christianity. And this mistake was fatal. There was no need to arrest the Nazarenes, thus calling attention to them and making them martyrs. But once arrested, they should not have been freed so quickly. The arrest and release increased the number of believers, For these events showed, on the one hand, that the new sect was a power which the authorities feared enough to persecute, but on the other hand, they proved that there was no danger in being a disciple of Jesus, Jesus, of course, here being the one who saved these men from the hand of their persecutors. So to recap our text, Peter and John are arrested following the healing of a lame man in Jesus' name and preaching the resurrection of of Jesus. They are brought before the rulers and elders and scribes, and they are asked under what name they did and taught these things. Peter, emboldened by the Holy Spirit, proclaims the gospel to the very men who sought the death of Jesus. And having no way to punish them, the council releases Peter and John. So what application should we draw out of this passage? What uh, does this have for us today, or what should we focus on here? First, I believe that we can be encouraged to speak boldly the name and truth of Jesus to the world around us through the Holy Spirit. As I said earlier, Peter's response to the council here is a direct fulfillment of the promises that Jesus gave us in the Gospels, that the Holy Spirit would provide the wisdom and the voice, that he would provide the words and would teach us in the very moment of opposition what we ought to say. Because it's not like Peter just wasn't afraid of these guys, right? In fact, we literally see just weeks prior in the Gospels that Peter denies even knowing Jesus because of his fear of these men. As Peter's arrested, he doesn't even want people to know that he knows Jesus because he's afraid of what they might do to him. So this isn't just Peter being some fearless preacher. So I think we need to ask, what has changed? What's different between then and now? And I think that well, I don't think it, I know it. There's a, a series of uh, eternity-altering events that have, cons- that have transpired between that night and this moment today. And those moments are the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. The cross changed everything. Peter saw his teacher, his friend, the man he knew to be the Christ, put to death on a cross, Three days later, he saw that the tomb where Jesus' body had been laid was empty and that he had raised from the grave. And a time later, he saw Jesus ascend into heaven. And this changed everything. Because as Peter's standing there talking to the men in our passage today, he knows that what he's saying is right. He knows that while he's standing before these men that arrested and killed Jesus, that he didn't stay dead that Jesus had defeated sin and death as well as the plans of these men that were seated before him. But there's another incredibly important thing that, happened, uh, that has happened in this time, and that is the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in John 16:7, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So not only does Peter have the, the confidence uh, and the, uh, of the life experiences that he has both endured and been blessed with, but he also now, because of Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection and ascension, he has the helper, the Holy Spirit, who can now come down uh, as a helper for us. And the amazing thing is that we today, we in this room, uh, can have this exact same confidence as Peter— And we have the exact same helper that Peter has here. We know the words of Jesus, right? We are blessed that we get to walk with our arm with them every day. And we know that in the face of persecution of our faith, that we are right, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, that he is hope and truth. And we can know and trust, we can be encouraged that in our time of need, the Holy Spirit will embolden us, will teach us the words we ought to say, and will fill us with wisdom and courage that is not our own to be able to bear witness for in for his name's sake. Now many of you might be thinking that we do not face the type of persecution that the early church faced, right? I think it's fair to say that we uh, as Americans in our the culture we live in do not face the type of persecution that many around the world face. Uh, But even if we don't face this same level of persecution, I don't think that in any way diminishes God's indwelling of the Holy Spirit on us. I don't think that lessens God's call for us to speak boldly in his name either, to act boldly, to bear witness to who God is to the world around us. Because the Spirit doesn't just move in times of extreme hardship or peril, right? The Spirit is moving in all of life. In each moment of our day, we have the opportunity to speak and act boldly for the kingdom of heaven. So what, you may ask, are some practical examples of this? Uh, What are some ways we can do this in our everyday lives? I will list some for you. (laughs) Uh, If you see someone having a, a hard moment or day... Uh, It can be pretty easy to walk right by, but don't. Stop. Ask them if they're okay. Ask them if there's anything you can be praying for them for. And if they open up to you, maybe even stop right there and ask if you can pray for them. Uh, This could look like speaking out when we see someone being mistreated, because we know that they are created in the image of God and that they deserve to be treated a certain way. Maybe when you're out to eat at a restaurant and the server brings you your food, You could say something like, hey, we're about to pray for our meal uh, before we eat. Is there anything we could pray for you uh, when we do that? The worst thing they could say is no, right? Uh, This could look like not avoiding mentioning church when people ask you about your week or what you've been up to. Uh, Or if you're having guests over for dinner, this could look like asking them or inviting them to join you in your moment of family worship that evening. Uh, This is one that Carolyn and I have actually done a few times now. Uh, I can't say that it hasn't gotten less awkward, um, but I remember the first time we did it. We had uh, some neighbors lived around the, the corner from us. that We've been trying to get to know. Um, we invited them over for dinner, and uh, we were still pretty new to doing family worship. I think we'd only been doing it for like a couple months. We were like, like, man, I feel kind of convicted that we should do this. Like, we should ask if they want to join us. And so we uh, ate dinner. We were talking, and I mustered up all my courage. I was like, hey, at the you know each night when we're you know we uh, after we eat dinner we. Like to read the Bible with our kids for a couple minutes, and then we pray and sing a song together. Is that something you guys are okay if we do now? And they were like, "Uh, "Sure, that sounds good." And so we did right there. It felt super awkward, but I we were going through Genesis still, and so I read the passage of Genesis. Uh, I got to pray over the passage and ask God to apply it to our lives, Uh, and then we got to sing a song with them uh, about Jesus. And it was awesome. It was super encouraging to our family, Uh, and then it was. Really cool that they were perceptive to it. They were open to it. They told us that they appreciated it and that they thought it was really cool. Uh, don't know if it went any further, but it was a, a cool moment. and I, It was something that uh, we have done since, and it doesn't get less awkward. But it was really encouraging and, and fun. Maybe not fun. It was fun to look back on it after the moment. <laughs> uh, uh, but in the same way that that was awkward, I'm sure to some of you these ideas sound really cringy or uh, just super awkward, uncomfortable. And if you're in that camp this morning, if, if these kind of ideas, this concept of being, being bold with our faith, of speaking boldly about Jesus to others, uh, if that's where you feel you're at today, I have a, an, an intermediate step I might suggest for you. And that is to practice these type of things with fellow believers of Christ. Practice asking fellow Christians how you can be praying for them. And practice praying for them right there with them. Uh, invite a family from church over and and share a time of family worship with them after your evening meal. And most importantly, make it a habit of talking about Jesus with fellow believers. Share with one another what God's doing in your life, uh, how He's blessed you, or what areas He's challenging you in. Because if we can't talk about Jesus with one another, it's gonna be pretty hard for us to to try to do that with other people who don't believe in Christ, right? I think we can all have the tendency, myself included to want to avoid doing things like this because we're afraid of what people might think about us or how they might react to us. We care about what people, even strangers, think about us. So we don't want to ask that random person if there's anything we could be praying for them about. We worry that people won't want to be our friends if we push the Bible on them or show too many of the Christian things we do in our household. We can allow our, our fear of man to cause us to live in this passive, people-pleasing mode. And I think we even see that in our passage today with the Jewish leaders. These leaders are annoyed at Peter and John. They do not like the things these guys are doing and saying, and they have them arrested and brought in to, to silence them. And I'm sure they, it probably would have been easiest just to have these guys locked up forever or killed, right? No more nuisance. They're done. But they don't. Why not? Why not? And verse 20, verse 21 again says, and when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. <clears throat> and as I said earlier, the gospels are filled with these moments, moments where the Pharisees resisted accosting Jesus because of the crowd around him. They even had to find a time to arrest Jesus in private because they feared doing it in front of other people. They lived their lives in fear of their perception of how they were perceived, in fear of losing their power and influence that they had over the world. Let us not fear man or the consequences this world might have to offer us. Let us fear God and let us trust in God's indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us, that he will speak and bear witness to himself through us if we are bold enough to open our mouths and proclaim his name and live our lives as a witness for him. Secondly, in this passage, as Ben alluded to earlier, I see an amazing pronouncement of the power of the name of Jesus. Two weeks ago, as Dan was preaching on Acts chapter 3, he shared that one of the ways that we can view the purpose of the miracle that Peter and John perform of the lame man. is is as an accreditation of the power of Jesus. And I see that theme repeated in our text today. Going back to verse 10, uh, Peter says, verses 10 through 12, "'Let it be known to all of you "'and to all the people of Israel "'that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, "'whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, "'by him this man is standing before you well.'" This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I'd like to unpack these words a little bit more here. In verse 11, when Peter refers to Jesus as the cornerstone, he's directly quoting a passage in Psalm 118.22 which reads, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So direct quote there. Uh, And I think here he's telling the council that they rejected Jesus just as the psalmist foresaw, that they killed Jesus, he's pointing out their sin to them, and in so doing, they fulfilled scripture while sitting against God. But he doesn't just condemn them of their sin, right? He continues by telling them the path of salvation, that salvation is found only in Christ. He's preaching them the gospel, that they are sinners who can find salvation in the name of Jesus. And I think what the author is is doing here is, uh, he's saying that Peter's trying to show these guys a bigger picture. One commentary put it this way, the name of Jesus is not simply a power-wielding slogan for healing. It is the name, the only name, that leads to salvation. The healing of the lame man in Jesus' name points to something greater. If the name of Jesus Heals, then the name of Jesus forgives sin. If the name of Jesus heals, then the name of Jesus forgives sin. And this concept is something that the Jewish authorities had actually been challenged on during Jesus' life. And a moment when they that they would likely remember, uh, we see this in, in Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 25. It says, On one of those days, Jesus, as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some of the men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and led him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he'd been lying on and went home glorifying God. Jesus showed during his life through the healing of a lame man that he had the power to forgive sins. And in today's passage, we have a mirroring moment uh, of this happening. We see Peter preaching to the Jewish authorities after healing a lame man in the name of Jesus that it is in, the, in this name, Jesus' name alone, that you can find salvation. He is pronouncing and proclaiming the name of Jesus. He is repeating that the name of Jesus heals and the name of Jesus forgives sin. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. There is only Jesus. He is the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Only Jesus can save us. Not our works or our jobs, not our spouses or our families. We can't be saved by our money or our stuff. We certainly can't save ourselves, and we don't need to. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved." There is power in the name of Jesus. Thank you, God, for our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you that there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. We thank you that you are our sole source of salvation, Lord, that it's not something we have to work toward to do enough to earn, but that you have reached out your hand to us to draw us to yourself, to save us from sin and death. Thank you, God. God, we ask that you would embolden us to bear witness to who you are to the world around us. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to speak without shame or doubt what you have done for us and what you continue to do in each of our lives. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.